it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices to help you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Tony Maritato, a physical therapist and the founder of Total Therapy Solutions and Choose PT First. Paul and Tony dive deep into the advantages of niching down and how to pick your niche, how to develop the cash-based part of your business, why Medicare is the best lead generation tool, and what metrics Tony is always tracking in his clinic. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. SEO and content marketing and all those things, those are the kind of topics that you don't think are important until all of a sudden you realize they're super important. And by that time, usually, at least in my experience, you're behind the curve. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the content you've been putting out lately is about sort of um, those things, SEO, content marketing, all that stuff. But I guess in hindsight, let's just say you're a practice owner that's just started up or you're thinking about starting up. I just want to lob this over as like a broader question and see where you take it. But I think we can agree that starting content too late is not a good idea. But where do we start? Like, where does a, a practice actually start their journey down this path? I think so much of it. I mean, we're talking about communication, whether we use the term SEO, whether we use the term marketing, whether we use whatever term, it's communication, you know, and, and something that's fascinating about therapists is at heart, we should be amazing communicators because we have to communicate the goals, communicate the objectives like you and I were just talking about leadership. But even patient care, for me to take the patient from where the patient is to where the patient wants to be, I need to clearly communicate the ideas of where we're going. And I need to do it in a language that they can understand. So for my website, that language is SEO. You know, for YouTube, the language is video. Like wherever we are, we're speaking the native language. And so as a practice owner or somebody who's sitting there right now, they're good at what they do. They're amazing therapists. Patients are asking to work with them. They've got this yearning desire to do more than what they're capable of doing in the organization they're in. I think the first thing for them is to communicate within themselves with the idea of, okay, what do I really want to accomplish? You know, so when my wife and I were sitting there working for the hospital, we were like, look, we could probably see fewer patients, deliver a better patient care experience, make more money in the process. We knew that that was what we wanted to achieve. And so now the objective was, how do I create a plan to get from where I am now, W-2 employee at a hospital, to where I want to be? More clearly, we can define those goals because it's not just, I want to be a great clinician, I want to treat patients, I want to deliver this patient care experience, but it's also, I want to do it in a way that allows me the time freedom to start a family, to raise that family, to be a coach, to you know do these other things. Because nobody, no matter how passionate you are, wants to spend 20 hours a day in the clinic. We want to do what we do, do it as well as we can possibly do it, and then reap the benefits of that outside of patient care. So I think all of this goes back to that communication, having honest communication with yourself, eventually with your team, always with your patient and go from there. Let's actually use your example there because you, you know, you talked about you and your wife in the hospital setting before you opened your clinic. 
and I don't mean to paraphrase here, but just to kind of set it up, you know, your focus is total knee replacement recovery. And what's interesting is like, you know, I hear from a lot of practice or want to be practice owners and something that now you're talking about is niching down early. And I think Jamie Schreier on one of our other episodes sort of talked about this as well. Are there niches that are too small? You know, like, can you talk a little bit about that? So we're going to get to content here in a minute, but it sounds like none of that really matters until you really pick the niche. So when you were picking total knee replacement, was there a, how did you approach it? Did you look at it from a numbers standpoint or a, just that's what you like to do? How'd you pick, how'd you pick the niche? Yeah, I think if we step back, I had the same fear that probably every clinician listening to this right now has, which is I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be stuck just treating this one thing over and over and over again. I was the same way. Like, I love treating athletes. I love treating geriatrics. I loved being exposed to neuro conditions and ortho conditions and all of these different things. And I felt like as a therapist, I wanted that breadth of variety that I could work with in the clinic. But like anything, with time, with the economy that changes, with everything that's going on, I also started to realize, you know, patients don't necessarily want the jack of all trades. They want the specialist. They want the person who really understands if somebody is going in for knee surgery, they want to see the best knee surgeon. They don't want to see the best general orthopedic. So with that, over time, I started to look at how can I scale my business? How can I grow? I found that I had a natural affinity toward total knee replacement. There were some practical reasons for that, but there were also some personal reasons. For example, I felt that I was able to deliver a better patient care experience with less pain, less anxiety, less fear on the patient's side than what I typically see out there. You know, the stories that I would hear from patients coming in was the therapist pushed me too hard. They made me do too much, all of these things. And I would have those conversations where I would say, look, you might get better slower, but I think you would appreciate that versus trying to go too fast and then having a setback. And many of the patients resonated with that message. So for me, there was that aspect. And then the practical side, you know, from a business perspective, when I look at people who have high urgency, if somebody had a total knee replacement surgery, they were never missing their appointments because this was, I mean, not to get too graphic, but they basically had their leg cut off and sewn back on. They were not going to take a chance on missing a therapy session, not getting their range of motion, not getting their strength, their function. So this was a community of patients that I personally did well working with that had high urgency. So they wanted to get in as soon as they possibly could. They never wanted a misappointment. They would do anything in their power to come. I compare that to where my practice was about a decade ago. We were treating a lot of what I just kind of call general low back pain condition. We were, you know, I own a building. I was leasing space to two orthopedic surgeons who specialized in spine care. I'd see all of their post-surgical cases and non-surgical cases. And it was really a situation where we would have 60, 70% attendance rates on a typical day, as opposed to now with knee replacement, it's like 95 or higher attendance rates, you know? And so I said, I need less equipment to treat patients after a total knee replacement. I get better outcomes. I personally have a higher level of job satisfaction. I believe that I can genuinely deliver something of unique value to this community and in the process, I can make more money with less effort and less liability. This is my community. These are the people that I want to talk to. And that's what triggered the growth of the YouTube channel. That's what triggered the growth of all of the specialization. 
But I think what therapists should realize is no matter how hard I push down the road of total knee, and if you look at any of my content that's patient facing, it's all total knee focus. Total knee in my clinic probably still makes up less than 40% of the total referrals that I see. My clinicians, my team, myself, we still get a variety of referrals. I still have the joy of treating different conditions. But as a specialist, as an expert, I planted my flag in the niche of total knee replacement. And no, I don't think the niche can get too small now that we have access to a global community. You know, back in the day when we were marketing in newspapers and local advertisements, yeah, we could probably pick a niche that was too small. But these days, I've heard of conditions that I thought, who in the world, how can you run a practice just on this condition? But with closed groups, with digital media, with ways to expand and paid memberships, there is no single condition that's too small. Any clinician, any practice can build a specialty in any niche. That's interesting. And so I'm glad you explained that too, because it's interesting. You didn't go into numbers or size. Like there was just no numerical market size there. It was really more about how much do they need the service, you know? As, and I think the way you described it was the difference between general back pain versus I just replaced my knee. Uh, so that's super fascinating. One of your superpowers, I think, is that you're not afraid of just trying stuff, you know, and you're building in public, I, you know, your content every day, you're putting out there, you're trying stuff, you're putting your stats out there. Knowing what you know today, you know, let's say somebody listening to this in Oregon or Alabama is thinking about starting a practice and they're bought into the way you're thinking about this. What does the marketing stack need to look like today? I'm leaving this generally as a broad question, but so you've tinkered. I say that respectfully, by the way, you've figured out what doesn't work, what does work. Let's say you're starting or growing a practice in 2023, 2024. What should that content stack look like now? So you've picked a niche, you're trying to get your customer count up or your patient count up. What should that look like? Is it hitting record a couple times a day? Is it, I'm leaving this broad. I let me stop talking there. So, you know, it's going to change. Let's start there. Like now that you and I are talking, I'm thinking about it, and I've shared this story before, like before I was specialized in total knee replacement, I was specialized in treating patients who were dealing with persistent chronic pain and fibromyalgia. And I was thinking about that as we were talking and I said, you know, how did I find that niche? Again, I felt that I had something unique to deliver that community, but also it was an untapped or underserved need in my local community. We had a couple local physicians. They were treating patients that were diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic pain, and they really had no place to send them. And I'd hear the story over and over. I referred to this therapist. The therapist did too much. It caused me to, you know, have an exacerbation. And so I could deliver a different approach to that individual. So over the years, I was in the niche of low back. I was in the niche of fibromyalgia. I was now I'm in the niche of total knee. And it just was a combination for me, at least of where is the market taking me? Where do I have a unique advantage? You know, I love poker. I'm a huge fan of Texas Hold'em. I've played for decades. And the saying is, if you don't recognize, you know, the fish at the table is probably you. I let the game develop. I let the environment develop. I see who the players are sitting around me and where do I have the unique advantage in that? And so most recently, as I started to put that YouTube content out there and the community of Total Knee Replacement started to find that content, that's how it resonated with them. But across any social media platform, there are these groups, these niches that have developed 
And so if you find that unique interest that you have, you get into those groups, you find these communities, you contribute. I never asked for anything. I never expected anything back. I think I joined Facebook in like 2016 and just started sharing information and answers and helping in any way that I can. And as the market develops, you start to realize, oh, there's some real need here. And then at that point, you're like, is this fulfilling to me? Is this something that I believe that I have a unique advantage in? Do I have a different perspective? Can I deliver something that nobody else is delivering? Is there a monetary value in this? Because at the end of the day, I do need to feed my family. But I also think what's different about us, about me, about clinicians kind of sitting in my shoes is we're not a huge enterprise level, you know, startup, like a couple hundred thousand years more than, you know, I'm, I need. I always say, I don't want a bigger house. I don't need a newer car. I want the time to do what I want to do. And I love to tinker. I'm a huge tinkerer. And so as long as my business affords me that freedom, I'm happy. That's all that I need. So for me, the bar is set financially so low that I can achieve and exceed that on almost anything, you know? So that's where it is. It's finding those communities. It's communicating your message. It's finding the unique value proposition that you have that isn't already out there. And then just doubling down on that and getting the message out. If you don't mind my asking, were you always wired this way? Like if I was to time travel back 20 years ago, I mean, are you the same, Tony? No different. Yeah, seven-year-old Tony, 23-year-old <laughs> Tony, I was born an old soul, but I've always been like this. And I think anybody who's known me for a long time would probably confirm that. I say that with all the respect in the world, by the way, because I think somewhere along the way, marketing, you know, yourself and your your services has gotten a bad rap, not just in healthcare, but just in general, you know, it, it somehow became taboo to talk about, you know, what you do or what benefit you provide people. And and I think that's one of the many things that's refreshing about you is that, you know, you're doing it and you're being humble through it and, and sharing so much. And it's surprising to me that more people don't jump on the bandwagon sooner. Right. I think marketing and sales gets confused, you know, and, and I think the old idea is still in our heads of the person who's trying to sell you something you don't need. The person who's trying to sell you something that's to their advantage instead of to your advantage, you know, and. These days, I mean, marketing, sales, advertising, they're very different terms. And as you step into this world and you start to realize that, I think that now back to communication, you understand the language and the meaning behind the words that you use. I think it opens new doors. And for me, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, like you never want to go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Like I'm in a position where I don't really have a need. I'm not trying to generate anything from anybody. I'm happy to share. And if I have one or two big wins in a year, that's amazing. That covers everything that I need. So the rest of the time I can deliver as much free value as possible, which really brings me into this, this idea. I think we have this misconception in healthcare where we all want to treat and help the people who need our help the most. And I hear therapists frequently say, well, I don't just want to work with rich people. Because we have this communication issue about, you know, well, how much do you charge and cash pay versus insurance and all this stuff. And I'm like, look, the reality is if I have one or two big wins financially in a year, I can treat almost an infinite number of people for free. I would rather treat somebody for free 
than 20 or 30 bucks that's going to put pressure on them and might legitimately be the difference between them paying for food or covering rent or whatever, or coming to see me, you know? So I'd rather have one or two big clients who are happy to pay the premium price for the service they're getting because they know the value is far higher than the cost. And then the rest of the time, I can just help everybody for free. I can jump on calls. I can get on Zoom. I can bring you into my clinic. And so that's always been kind of my mode of operation across any business that I've been in. Yep, 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 yep. This might be a good segue. You would, you know, that shared doc or whatever that you sent over with some ideas. That leads me to one of the comments here, the ideas you put on there. You said Medicare is a lead generation tool versus Facebook or Google ads. I might be wrong, but I'm getting the impression that this might be a good segue into a topic like that. Actually, before we go there, total hypothetical question here. You've spent the last number of years sort of building this all up. Hypothetically, let's just say you started all over knowing what you know today in 2023, that financial target that you had, you know, or sorry, that that overall target you had, you know, and finance is part of it and time was the other of it, uh, freedom was the other part of it. If you had to guess today, you started over fresh, didn't know anybody, but you got your certifications, all that. How long do you think it would take you to get back to that same level of freedom and finance that you're at now? Just, this is a total hypothetical, by the way. I'm always curious what people say to that. I think it would probably take three to six months at most, you know, and and you see this consistently. You see, like, there were the shows on TV where you take everything away from, a you know, a billionaire, and then how quickly can they scale back up? Once you've acquired the skills, like the skills are an element in that, but more than anything, it's the mindset. I had shared a video a long time ago, and I don't know if I told you about it, where I remember as a kid, I bought a Rubik's Cube. And I was like, I'm going to figure out how to solve this Rubik's Cube. And I spent years trying to figure it out. And there was no way I could possibly figure it out. And then I put it away and I forgot about it. And then I grew up and I had kids and my kids were trying to figure out the Rubik's Cube. And I'm like, I'm going to watch a video. I learned the algorithm. And in eight minutes, I'm solving the Rubik's Cube at will whenever I want. And it's a combination of, oh, now I see the algorithm. Now I see the formula. Now I understand where these elements are. I'm no smarter today than I was the day before I could solve the cube. But I understood how it works. And that's the way business and so many other things, even relationships, it's like you start to understand how these things work. So yeah, I really do not to sound conceited or, you know, ahead of myself, but I really do think the skills within me, the understanding, the mindset today is I could get back to where I am today in three to six months because I would pick the right opportunity. I'd leverage the right, I'd pull the right levers and I wouldn't waste my time on stuff that's non-productive that makes me think that I'm being productive. Right. I think that right there is so powerful. And for whatever it's worth, by the way, I don't think you're being conceited. And I think that's one of the underlying reasons why a lot of people never take this step, you know, because it feels dirty. Somewhere along the way, marketing got this like dirty feeling attached to it and for no good reason. So it's interesting to me, um, for better or for worse, I don't go to very many conferences anymore. Maybe I should. But one of the things about conferences that always struck me as weird is that if you ask anybody how they're doing, and I think this is true of healthcare, tech, every industry, You go ask a bunch of people how they're doing, you know, in a public setting like that, and everybody's killing it. Everybody's crushing it. Whatever the cool phrase is these days. And then, you know, two coffees or two beers later, you know, when nobody else is looking, that's when the reality comes out. You know, oh man, I got this going on. I can't figure that out. 
that's what I find so refreshing about this is that you're sort of talking about something. And, and I think the point is, though, is that, you know, with your level of skill and confidence, the fact that you can get back to your place in three to six months is what I think people should take away from this. In other words, entrepreneurship and starting a practice and growing a practice is not something that takes decades. It, it's really a function of saying no to most things, saying yes to the few things that actually move the needle, and then just doubling down heavy on that. Absolutely. That's really fascinating. Let's use that to kind of talk about one of the tactics. I think this is an idea that you're talking about that's a tactic, but let's let's see where you go with this. So you mentioned in that idea document, Medicare is a lead generation tool versus Facebook or Google ads. Let's talk about that. I'm, I'm curious where you go with that. For therapists that are looking at opportunities moving forward, I mean, we, we see declines in reimbursement. I shared a screenshot. I went to the Ohio Medicare website and I showed reimbursement for therapeutic exercise in 2012 compared to reimbursement for the same therapeutic exercise in 2023. We were getting paid more in 2012 than we are in 2023. So it's no surprise. Reimbursement's going down. The cost of education is going up. Inflation is driving costs up in many ways. So when I look at that, I'm like, okay, we have a whole generation of therapists that are coming out of school with higher debt loads, with, you know, higher levels of knowledge and education, but where is the money going to come from? And so in a conventional third-party payer model, most of those practices are only delivering what the insurance will cover because they're treating a population of patient that only wants what the insurance will cover. You know, it's like the person that goes to Costco on the weekend to get the free samples and nothing else. That's okay. They're allowed to do that, but that's a very different client than the person who goes to Costco to buy the gold bars that they're now selling. So the point here is, if I'm a business owner and I'm looking at where's my opportunity, how can I leverage this? I know that I want to deliver this premium level experience, but I can't afford to deliver that premium experience for third-party reimbursement rates. Okay, so I'm either going to spend one, two, $3,000 a month on Facebook ads, Google ads, something like that. Or I'm going to accept one, two, $3,000 a month less in revenue, but I'm going to take Medicare referrals. I'm going to contract with Medicare, allow those referrals to come to me. This is like the ultimate, you know, in, in regards to I've got the trust because now that I'm a contracted provider with Medicare, there's a, an inherent level of trust. The patient is protected by Medicare. But when that patient comes to me, and I think this is something that we don't discuss enough in the world of therapy, I don't have to take the patient if it's not the right patient for me. So I don't do pediatrics. I don't do neurodiagnoses. I don't do post-amputee, right? So if a patient comes to me, they just had a above-the-knee amputation, I'm not going to treat that patient. But I can certainly evaluate that patient, answer that patient's questions, and help point that patient in the right direction. Everybody's going to agree with that. Now you take that a step forward and you say, for me, 22 years into the business now, I understand that most of the patients that I can genuinely help the most, they're going to have major lifestyle changes that I'm going to deliver. We're going to talk about sleep. We're going to talk about nutrition, stress management, mindfulness. We're going to talk about, you know, really this next 20 years of your life being the best 20 years of your life. Well, none of those things are covered by Medicare benefit policy. So I can have those people come to me, any Medicare beneficiary come to me, I can do the evaluation, I can deliver the value of my experience. And when I develop my plan of care, it's going to include 
all of those non-covered benefits that I genuinely believe this patient would benefit from. Now, what I have is I have the power to say, this is what I think you need. You told me your goals. If you want to do this program, it's a $5,000 program. The Medicare covered element of this is about $1,300. Today's covered at 100% under the Medicare benefit policy manual. The rest of it, Medicare will cover about $1,200. If you want this program, you'll be responsible for $3,800. You can pay that today, cash credit or check. If you don't want any of that, and you only want the services that Medicare will cover, absolutely no problem. There's a great therapist right down the road. His name's John, he works for the hospital. I will give you all of his information. I'll tell him you were here. I'll tell him everything that we discussed. He will do his own evaluation and create the best plan of care that he can create within what Medicare will cover. And if that plan of care doesn't satisfy your needs, doesn't get you to the goals that you want, great news. You can always come back. I'm not getting rid of your information. Everything is going to be here and we can take it to the next level. You know, so from my perspective, I think a lot of therapists think, well, Medicare is a barrier to entry. Medicare, you know, does all this stuff that limits our ability to do what we do best. No, it's just it opens the door to say, now this person who wouldn't have found me otherwise found me has the opportunity to either purchase what I believe is best for them or not. Doesn't matter to me. Back to not being starving when you're going grocery shopping. I'm okay either way. I'm not going to go out of business if this person says they don't want what I have. But when the person says, yeah, you know, I can't think of a better investment of $5,000 that's going to buy me the next 20 years of independence and mobility and I can travel and I can do all the things that I wanted to do, I'm ready. Sign me up. When do we begin? You know, and so that's where I say Medicare really for the future should be a major lead generator rather than somebody or something, an entity that limits our ability to do what we do best. That is so fascinating to me. As you were talking about that, it started to get me to think about this realization that I've, as a patient myself, you know, through the years, I've never once had anybody talk to me like that. It's always been, hey, is your insurance up to date? Okay, what's the problem? Boom, boom, get me out as fast as you can. It'd almost be refreshing for somebody to say, so what's the goal? Oh, you are trying to run a sub three hour, 15 minute marathon. Okay, well, let's talk about that. And it's, it's, there's more to it than what's in your healthcare program or um, uh, in your insurance benefit. But that's fascinating. The other part that this makes me think about is that healthcare is one of these, I think it might be the only industry that I know of where you have these preconceived limitations. Example, you know, let's say you go get a pre-approval from your bank for a car. You go to the dealer. I have never once met a dealer that says, oh, that's what we can spend? Okay, I won't show you these other cars. <laughs> Nobody does that, right? They say, well, the sunroof, it looks good, man. It's a little extra. You know, the deposit's going to be a little extra. You buy a house, right? Starting from the whatever the number is, and then, oh, the deck's extra. And just imagine the memories. You know, they never show you an empty deck. It's always with, like, smiling people on it and stuff like that. So, Anyway, just really fascinating that as a patient, I've never experienced that, but you know, I could get behind that. Two things on that real quick. So I think that's a great illustration of what we think sales used to be and what sales is today. What sales used to be is, you know, we sell them anything we can at any rate just to make our commissions. What sales is today is I'm here to represent you. Like I'm the therapist. Okay, we know that you have this Medicare coverage. Awesome. Let's use the coverage that you have, but let's not limit your ability to achieve your goals 
simply based on that coverage. So the salesperson, air quotes, the therapist is really there to represent you in every way available, you know, and give you the best opportunity for the best possible outcome. The other part in what you said that's really unique is, yeah, like if I'm going, we just bought a minivan not too long ago, our first one. I love it. I've been trying to get a minivan for a decade. But the idea is so you know what you're pre-approved for, but then you also have the ability, the freedom to say, well, I want more than that. I want to add these features on. I want to do these other things. So I'm going to take what I've got approved and I'm going to, you know, throw in some extra cash and bring in these other things. And when we look at Medicare, and believe me, I've spent two decades understanding the Medicare guidelines. So many of us have been like, just we're so used to thinking, okay, Medicare doesn't cover this, or what does Medicare cover? How can I finagle this into a covered service? Because we think that's what the patient wants. When in reality, if I just sat down and I said, Paul, you know, you told me you've been dealing with the shoulder stuff and you've got this Achilles tendinopathy and I know you love running. What is your goal? Like, why are you here today? What are you hoping to achieve out of therapy? I would bet almost every single person who walks in my clinic is going to say, I want to hike. I want to jog. I want to garden. I want to play with my grandkids. None of those, none of those are Medicare covered goals. Those are all recreation. Those are all performance. And so what we've done, and we've done it to ourselves, is we've taken these very high value outcomes and we've kind of changed them into these low value, well, Medicare pays me to help you feed yourself, bathe yourself, dress yourself. So even though the things that I'm gonna do could translate into performance-based goals, which would be paid for out of pocket, I'm gonna call them you know, ADL, IADL-based goals, dressing, bathing, feeding, so that Medicare pays. It makes no sense. like. If we honestly took what the patient, and there are ways to do this correctly, let the patient tell us what they want. Let them lead the plan of care. And then from there, let's give them the choice. Say, hey, if you want to do these things, that's amazing. I can absolutely help you do it. This is the cost. And give them that choice, the freedom of choice. Yeah. And again, I know I'm just a data set of one or whatever, but just even as a dad, I've got you know four kids and a couple of them are pretty young. And I know for me, myself, I sort of deprioritized the, you know, working out over the course of years under the guise of being busy and stuff like that. And I don't recall exactly when this happened, but it wasn't until one day, maybe two or three years ago, when one of my buddies said, I think I was getting up and I did the dad grunt. <laughs> you know, you do that dad grunt when you're getting up. And he's like, um, you know, that grunt only gets worse. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Really, if you just start to like uh, incorporate a squat rack into, you know, right outside your office here and just start doing something, you, you don't, you won't be doing that anymore. And it was just that little moment, that little trigger where I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. And next thing you know, that little comment, he should have given me an affiliate link or whatever, but, you know, I dropped a thousand bucks on a squat rack and put it in and I feel better about it, you know? And, and so it's just interesting. These uh, ideas you're talking about seem so obvious. I've got a patient coming tomorrow. She reached out to me through text. She knew that I had a history of, you know, I was a strength coach and personal trainer and she's 68 and she's very active as she is right now. She works at a local like home and garden center. She actually watches our dog when we go on vacation. So she's just an amazing woman, full of energy, more energy than I have. And so she reached out to me because she said, hey, Tony, you know, I, I want to connect with you. I want to come in. I want to do these things because I feel like I know my balance isn't bad today, 
but it's going to be bad in 10, 15, 20 years. So I want to get started. And I said, okay, that's great. Hey, you know, you have Medicare, don't you? And she's like, well, yeah. I said, you know, this would be a covered benefit. Like you have, you're entitled to use the Medicare benefit. You've paid into the system your entire livelihood. Why not use what you've paid for? So she was so happy and so ecstatic. But my point in this is she was more than willing to pay out of pocket. And she was going to pay whatever it cost because she wanted the program. So what I find so interesting in my business model, at least, is I'm never going to deprive a patient from using the benefits they've purchased and they've paid for. They're entitled to that insurance coverage when it is a covered benefit. And an evaluation in her case is a covered benefit. But I'm also not going to refuse them the opportunity to pay for the things that are above and beyond what the insurance policy will cover. You know, and we're so stuck in this binary, yes or no, covered, not covered. We lose sight of why we became therapists in the first place. We became therapists to improve the quality of life, to make this thing more enjoyable and to really kind of feed that passion. And payment model is just one opportunity, whether it's insurance or cash or credit card or check or whatever. I don't pay me in chickens. I've had patients pay me in ducks and chickens and rabbits. I don't care how you pay me. Let's just get the payment out of the way so that we can achieve the goal. That may have to be a different episode. We'll have yeah. to talk about uh, chickens as currency <laughs> in, the, in, in the clinics. Okay, man, the more time I spend with you, the more fascinating you become to me. There's a compliment in there somewhere. I come from the tech world and, you know, every business out there that I've ever involved, I gotten involved with, you know, we boil a very complex business down to maybe three or four key metrics. And I'll just give you an example and then you'll kind of know where I'm going with this. For example, in the context of like a software company, pick Salesforce.com or anybody, right? There's really only four metrics that matter. What's your monthly recurring revenue? What's your churn rate of those customers? How many, you know, fall off every month? Uh, what's your lifetime value, right? And then what's your average revenue per user? And just generally speaking, those four numbers tell me the health of any business. One of the things I find interesting about the healthcare world is, is that I could probably only count on my one hand the number of clinic owners I've ever met that can actually boil their business down to something succinct like that. It doesn't have to be four metrics or two, but it seems to me that the most, air quotes here, the most sophisticated practice owners I've ever met, you know, can maybe boil it down to an average revenue per visit because they are thinking binary, kind of the way you just described it, right? This is either covered or it's not. I'm either going to do this with you or not. And that's probably the most sophisticated. What you're outlining is something more where the average revenue per something, whether it's occurrence or incident or episode or year. I'm curious if you could shed any light on that. Like, how do you think about, actually, let me just set this up a little bit more. So the most sophisticated people I've ever met will tell you, hey, my average visit or my average reimbursement per visit is X. If they're even more sophisticated, which now takes us from like five people I've ever met down to probably two, the more sophisticated people say, and the average patient, you know, as long as I treat them well and really kind of nurture that relationship, they're going to come back, not only for every, you know, appointment in that particular episode or whatever, but they're going to call me back and they might get hurt or need me twice a year. And they can start to give you either an annual value of what a patient might be worth, or in some cases, if they've been around a long time, an estimated lifetime value of what that patient is worth. And I guess the two-part question I'd ask you, and I'm curious where you go with it, is part one, in your practice or in any good practice you've ever seen, what are those key three or four metrics that matter? And then maybe part two is, 
in your model, what you're talking about essentially is an average revenue per patient that is higher than whatever the allowable amount is in um, the reimbursement. And what does that look like? Is it in a perfect world? Is that patient worth 80% in terms of cash and 20% what the reimbursement rate is? Or is how you think about it? So anything you're willing to share, and obviously we can always edit this out if you don't want to go down this path. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I'm happy to. So when I look at metrics now, we used to have a whole host of metrics. Every position on the organizational chart had metrics that they were responsible for and that they were in control of. But when I really kind of distill it down, I always want whatever metric I'm tracking to really have kind of a clear connection to the outcome I'm trying to achieve, you know? And so what I'm typically looking at is I want to know completed plans of care. My clinicians, my clinical staff have total autonomy. You can make a three visit plan of care. You can make a 30 visit plan of care. I don't care. But I want to know, is your patient completing that plan of care and are they doing it as prescribed? So if you're saying I need you in here three days a week, are they coming three days a week? You know, so when I look at performance, that's what I care about. And then my metric for knowing is the patient getting the value that I want them to get is percent of arrivals. So if I've booked 10 sessions for a therapist in a day and nine of them come, it's a 90% arrival rate. But to me, what that tells me is if we're above 90%, 95%, I know that those patients are valuing, they're prioritizing the service that we're delivering. You know, so from a non-financial metric, those are the two things that I put at the top of the stack. Because if I'm getting completed plans of care, I know that my patients are happy. And if they're arriving for their scheduled appointments, I know they're getting the value that they want. And so I can monetize anything. I don't care about the monetization, honestly, as much. Those are the two metrics that I look at more than anything else. Now, on the money side, on the finance side, what's a little bit different about our business model is I'm not just monetizing with patient care. You know, where historically I might have looked at how many units is a therapist generating and then what's the average collection per unit. Now I'm more looking at what is my operating expense and for every hour the clinic is open, what is my total revenue per hour? You know, and as that revenue per hour goes up, I know I'm moving in the right direction. And so we monetize through media. So YouTube's bringing in money. We monetize through education. So whether they're digital courses focused on patient conditions or digital courses teaching other clinicians how to do what we do, all of that stuff is kind of lumped into the business. So it gets a little bit trickier. But from my perspective, over the last probably five years, we've completely moved away from worrying about monetization from patient care. It pretty much is just like a bonus revenue source. Like, oh, we got paid. Awesome. Happy for that. But I don't care about that. I'm more focused on enterprise value in regards to what's the media bringing in? What are the website, you know, monetization strategies doing like real estate values? What are they doing? Because I have more opportunity there, you know, and, and that's where you go back to looking at your clinical staff. We hear the same complaints from clinicians, rightfully so. The management team comes in and says, we need more production. We need more production. We need more production. To me, that's not a recipe for growth and success. Like that's a horrible way to do it. I want my therapist to be able to do less production and the business to do more profit and more revenue. 
give me that formula. And that's a formula for success. Cause now my therapists have the freedom to do what they do best, focus on what they do. Like over my time as leader, owner, practice manager, I've never had a clinician that like did well with incentivizing them through bonuses or, you know, carrot on a stick. My clinicians, anyone that's ever worked for me, it's always been pay me what I feel like I'm worth and then let me do my job. That's what I'm here to do. And that's what I strive for. I'm like, look, how much do you need to make? Can my business support that? Because, you know, I want you to feel valued. I want you to feel good in what you do, but I want you to have the freedom so that if you're doing 30 visits and I'm paying you for 40 hours, I don't care because I want you, I want those 30 visits to be amazing visits. And I want you to excel in ways that you couldn't excel at other places, you know? So a long answer to a short question. I think it's a really important topic because I, I think, you know, every other industry, okay, so I'm going to say this and I might lose some friends on it, but I, I'm coming from a good place. In every other industry, we have to be unromantic about the economics of the business. And I'll, I'll just, I'll give you a, a cliche example. You know, I forget what Netflix charges these days, but I think it's like 15 bucks a month or whatever it is, right? So 15 times 12, that's $180 per year that Netflix can gain off of me as a customer. And they're unromantic about it. In order for the economics of their business to work, they need N number of customers per year to hit whatever target they have. And that target is for them financial because they're a public company. But in your case, it's freedom. And some of that is financial. And one of the things I think is interesting about the healthcare world is that a lot of people seem to absolve themselves of running or knowing the business metrics by hiding behind this veil of good care, you know, quote unquote, I want to give them great care, quote unquote, right? And I get where they're coming from. But then these are the same people, two coffees or two beers later that are saying, ah, I can't make ends meet. I haven't done uh, bonuses. I can't afford to hire somebody. And so this conversation, I think, is really important because I think that the more we can convince practice owners and maybe practice managers to, to recognize that you can give great care while also making a quality living, you know, is possible. And so if there's anything we can be doing to kind of push that conversation more into the limelight, I, I think everybody wins for it. But yeah, I mean, so many people I, I've met over the last couple of months and years or whatever, just kind of boil it down into this binary. You've used that word a couple of times today in terms of binary. And I think that is the perfect word to use. Everybody's saying it's a yes or no, black and white. I either accept that or I don't. But, you know, just yesterday I had a guy give me an estimate. We want to, we live out on our, we use our back deck a lot, you know, and it's covered and, you know, we like to sit outside a lot. And this guy came over to give us an estimate because we wanted to extend it. You know, right now it's about half the width of our home on the back. And we've been kind of talking about this idea of maybe extending it the full width. And the guy was so good. As soon as he came in, the first guy that came in was actually, in hindsight, just talking about materials. Oh, okay, well, this is how much treks you're going to need. Here's how much we're going to... Like, he got very factual while we were sitting there, and he had his pen and paper, and he was doing the math. And I'm like, my eyes are... I'm like, this number's only getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> the next guy that showed up, like, the next day was like, oh, so you guys hang out here with your kids? Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, I see the TV there. Oh, I see the, to the toys. Oh, look at your garden. And now he's sitting there sketching it. And he's like, look, I'm going to tell you, I got to do a lot of math here, but I'll do that afterwards and I'll email you. But I think I could see you like living an even better life out here. And he was selling the emotional side. And you can choose as a business owner to view that as like this icky thing, or you can choose to recognize that 
I'm a customer that told him right at the beginning about the outcome I wanted. And for like, I'm just a different customer, right? And then I'm not articulating that very well, but I think healthcare seems to have just become it's cash only or insurance. And what you're talking about is something more hybrid. And I think it's really fascinating. And, you know, I'm not against commoditized healthcare. Like, that's the thing. We have a need for it. We have a huge population, an aging population. We need that kind of level of, you know, something that's reproducible. I always say, aside from poker, I also love to cook. So I cook every meal every day. I'll cook three meals if my kids want three different things. I don't care. I just I genuinely enjoy cooking. And with that, I know that if I follow a recipe... I will have a consistent outcome every single time. And in the clinic, if I follow a recipe, a proven protocol, I will have a consistent outcome every single time. But that kind of patient care experience is what the insurance company is paying for. They're buying in bulk. They're buying huge volumes. They're dealing with thousands of contractors. I mean, hundreds of thousands of claims a day. So like there's a place for that. And we need that in the community to serve the huge population, the, the middle of the bell curve. But where we live, the people who are watching this, the people who are taking the time to improve themselves in their business, we live at the ends of that bell curve. And so for us to be able to deliver the experience that we want, to, to provide the level of service, to leverage the education. You know, I talked to therapists 20, 30 years into the profession that have done continuing ads, have done advanced education. They've invested not just in their degree, but so much money beyond that for them to use and deliver what it is that they've built, they need to understand there's more ways to do this and there are creative ways to do this, you know? And so that's where I think having the ability to communicate, to express, you know, touch on the emotion, understand what is really driving this person. Why is this person really here? I share this story all the time. I mean, I often go to my dental hygienist to get a, a cleaning twice a year, not because I want to, not because I enjoy it, just because I don't want my wife to complain that I haven't gone and I just want to get it done. I would pay twice as much if they did it in half the time. I'm fortunate. I don't have problems with my teeth. My teeth have always been really healthy. So it's like, look, you don't have to spend more time with me. Do it quicker and I'll get out of here and I'll pay you more. You know, so every individual patient, client, customer, they have a unique need. And if we understand where we can deliver the value and serve, solve that problem, I think the doors just swing wide open. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. <laughs>